Good morning, Crosspoint Church. How are you guys doing? Come on, you guys can do better than that. How are you doing? Yes. So my name is Brandy Walmsley, and my husband and I have been coming to Crosspoint Church for over 10 years now. And currently, I am serving on your worship team, and I'm also a small group leader as well as a small group coach. And I absolutely love serving. I get to meet a lot of you beautiful people on the worship team. I get to look at you guys when we're leading worship as well as uh, being with you guys in small groups. And I get to serve with my hubby who's in the back serving doing the sound today. So I'm here today right now to read the Bible verse to you. So if you want to get your Bibles out, I think it's page 915 if you're going to use one of the Bibles we provide for you or your handy-dandy phones, which is what I'm reading from. We're going to be reading in Acts uh, chapter 10, verses 30 through 36. Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Thank you, Brandy. Hey. (laughs) You got to listen fast today. We normally cover like two paragraphs, a few verses. We're going to do 50 verses today. We're going to go two pages. So you got to listen fast. Be, be ready to go for this. I also want to tell you, men, uh, th- uh, tomorrow night, Monday night at 7 p.m., the men of Crosspoint are gathering out here in the plaza. We have put a big fire pit out there, have a guy playing the guitar. We sing some songs, hang out, eat together, laugh together. Somebody share something. So be out here tomorrow at 7 p.m. out there in the plaza. I also want to encourage you, uh, what, like Brandy said, to, be, to get involved here, serving in, in different ways. Uh, our, our tech team this weekend, because of COVID and circumstances, all kinds of crazy stuff, we couldn't even live stream the thing last night. We had one camera, kind of had to set it. So we need to be able to jump into those teams. Our kidsmen team, I don't know if you've seen it back there. You should wander back there afterwards. It's like a museum back there. Uh, if, don't go in there in the dark of night because it'll terrify you. There are animals and creatures, and I'm telling you, it's crazy back there. You want to get involved there. Jump on a team, serve. Every Saturday at 4.30, some people gather up with me uh, via Zoom right now, and we pray together for the service. So if you'd like to pray, would like to get involved in a prayer team where once a month or twice a month on a Saturday at 4.30, you jump into that. On that connection card they just told you about, jot us a note about that. We'd love to get you involved there. So what we just saw here is that God is about to obliterate and demolish the wall that goes between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And and the title of the message today is No Way, because everybody thought there's no way that's ever going to be possible. Based on who the Gentiles are, who the Jews are, this is just 
forget God's plan. This is just not going to be feasible or possible. And God does it here. And we read about it right there, what Brandy just read for us. But if we were watching a movie in the, or this miniseries, that little scene would kind of fade to black and go, okay, a few days earlier, dot, dot, dot. And then it fades up on a scene at the end of chapter 9 of Acts. Chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, there's this little weird verse that you go, What's, what are they doing? It says, and Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a, a tanner of hides. And we go, well, okay, whatever, thank you. You have to understand what's going on here. In Jewish culture, somebody who was a tanner of hides handled dead bodies, obviously, because you're working with dead animals. In Jewish culture, you were considered unclean, religiously, ceremonial, physically unclean. You had all these rites and rituals, and if you were around that person, you also became unclean. And here's Simon Peter, a good Jewish by his culture, by his background, by his patriotism, by his religion, and he's staying with Simon, with Simon the Tanner. You're going, wait, what, what's going on there? In fact, back in those days, if a girl got engaged to a guy and then later on found that he was a Tanner, the engagement was considered null and void. This, he was gross, unclean. You just didn't, this was, so about the time you're trying to figure out what's going on here, it fades to black again. You're going, wait, what's going on? And it fast forwards us to down up the coast a little bit to a town called Caesarea. It's 3 p.m., in Caesarea. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. No, duh. What is it, sir, he asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa, down the coast about 30 miles, and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner of, uh, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened, sent him off to Joppa to go get Peter. Now, what's going on here is... Caesarea is not a Jewish city. Caesarea was built when Rome came and took over the world. They're their dominant world superpower. They put together the capital was not going to be in Jerusalem, which was where Israel's capital was. They go, we're not going to be part of all that religious weirdo stuff that you guys do. They built a town and they called it after their king, Caesar, Caesarea. And that's where all of the Roman uh, politics and stuff happened. Now, they would also have places in Jerusalem because they had to go there to take care of business from time to time. But this is where everything Roman happened, thoroughly Gentile. And God's about to reach the Gentiles with the good news of Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. He doesn't go into a Jewish city where some good, solid Gentiles living. He goes to a Roman city. And not just to a Gentile, but to a Roman officer who's charged with keeping the peace of Rome. What the peace of Rome is, imposing Roman culture, Roman values, and making sure nobody messes up, oppressive uh, taxation systems that are put in place. That's what he's charged with doing, and that's the first Gentile, we're going to find out later, that the Bible records, that Luke records, that becomes a Christian. That's why it says, no way, you couldn't make this stuff up. He sends him off there. Uh, God says, I saw your searching. I saw your kind of checking things out. He's repudiated polytheism, the Roman way of all the gods and goddesses, embraces the one true God, but he's not quite sure what's going on here. He's frustrated, confused by it. God sees all that, sees his searching, 
want to tell you today, God sees you too. If you're new to church, new to God, new to Jesus, and you're wondering what are you doing here on the second weekend of the new year in 2022 when this whole pandemic thing is kind of going crazy again or whatever's going, everybody's getting sick, God sees you. There might be a reason that you're here today. But the scene fades to black there in Caesarea and now goes down 30 miles down the coast. I'm going to show you the map up here so you can see this. A map will come up here on the screen. I think it's in there in the back. Um, yeah. You can see here, there's Jerusalem down there in the south. Lydda and Joppa was where we were last week. Two cities on the outside, not, not near the capital. And then 30 miles, about 30 miles up the coast is the town of Caesarea. So Peter's down here in Joppa. Uh, Simon, uh, Cornelius is up in Caesarea. He's sending people down to Joppa because God appeared to him a vision to so go get Peter, who's down there in Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, maybe an hour or two away, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. He was hungry. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So it's not a, it's not, he didn't fall asleep and have a dream. It's like he, it's, and I've never experienced this. I know some people who have where God gives a vision of something, you're fully aware and cognizant, but all of a sudden you're starting to see things. Almost like you're having a dream, but you're fully awake. It's this alternate reality that he's seeing. He saw the sky open, which would be weird. The sky opens up, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And all the hunters out there going, that's right, let's go. <laughs> no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. You know why it had to be repeated three times? Because like Peter, sometimes we don't get it the first time. So I'm like, I got to go boom, 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 boom. Did get really get us to see that this is important. Then the sheet was suddenly whoo, pulled up to heaven. Here's the understatement of the whole episode here. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? God just shook everything up for Peter. Now for you and I, the idea, we kind of have the idea of clean and unclean food. food. For you vegans, vegetarians out there, you know all about that. There's clean and unclean stuff that you're supposed to eat or not eat. And you can get very like, oh, I'm not eating that stuff over there. Uh, you, treat, you treat unclean food like you would never darken the door of a McDonald's anywhere ever. That's the impure, unclean food of, of our culture, of your culture, perhaps. I don't know. But Peter's going, I'm not going to McDonald's. I'm not going to that. There's, and here's the crazy thing. God just shook him up. And he says, I never have and I never will violate these rules. And these are not rules and commands that were something that the scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day just kind of imposed on them. There's Bible verses about it. In Leviticus chapter 11, there are 45 verses that God dictated to Moses on the mountain and said, these are the animals they're allowed to eat and not eat. These are considered unclean. If you eat them, you're unclean and you have to go with those purification rites. Not only that, but dead animals and things like that that are unclean, you can't even touch them. And all these kind of, back in the day, you go, this is kind of ridiculous. We look at it today and go, this is kind of dumb and stupid and lame. And the animals kind of fell into three classifications. The unclean animals were predators, scavengers, 
and potentially poisonous or dangerous foods. Poisonous, dangerous foods like pork that all kinds of bacteria. You undercook pork. And back then before we had um, centers for disease control, before we had all these rules and regulations how to make sure things are properly prepared, none of this has happened yet. This is what's crazy important about this. Back in the day, nobody understood germs. Back in the day when, when the Bible is being written, that we haven't got microscopes yet and figured this out yet. And from time to time, the Bible's gonna have rules and regulations. Go, that just seems dumb. Or that seems weird. It seems kind of arbitrary. And I goes, that's because you're not as smart as I am. He goes, I'm not gonna let you eat these predator animals because they, are, they prey on other animals and they eat the blood and the flesh of that. That gets in their system. You get that in your system, that's gonna go through your, that's not gonna be good for you. Scavengers that creep along the ground and scavenge off dead animals, bacteria stuff in there. And pigs, man, I, I'm not gonna read the graphic details on here, but you eat the pig the wrong way, that goes really, 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 really bad for you. And it's fascinating, uh, these dumb, ridiculous regulations, God goes, because you're not as smart as I am. In fact, there's even rules and regulations there. You can read about it. If you want to find some good bedtime reading and make you fall asleep instantly, read, read Leviticus 11. But at the end, it talks about if you touch a dead animal, all these kind of things, and you weren't allowed to do it, and all these kind of like you had to wash the things and then throw out the pot and then bring the pot. Crazy stuff you had to do. And it's fascinating. In the 1300s, the bubonic plague swept through Europe. 25% of Europe died in the bubonic plague. We think our plague and our pandemic is... 25% of them died. You know which community had, had very little to no impact? Jewish communities. You know why? Because whenever they came in contact with anything dead, they, they did all these crazy, bizarre, weird religious ritual rites to clean up everything and get it all clean and purified again. It was crazy. Not, hardly any of them died. It's amazing how smart God is. And I'm going to tell you this because sometimes there's rules and things in the Bible. Every no that God puts in here has a reason for it. It's to protect you. It's to help you. And sometimes God explains why he's doing it. You know what God's going to do sometimes? Would you just trust me that I'm a little smarter than you? If I put it in the book and I'm telling you to do or not do certain things, even if it makes no sense to you, just do it. Well, here's what's crazy for Peter. He, he's sitting there going, he's perplexed and wondering. Everything's just completely been shaken up in his life going, but there, there's Bible verses about this God and all that, but yet he's going, oh, that's right. And Mark, in the book of Mark, verse seven, uh, sorry, Mark chapter seven, I'm not gonna read it, 14 to 19. It tells us there where by saying this, Jesus declared that now all foods have become clean, which is like, I show up here at church today and say, hey, these parts of the Bible don't apply anymore. You're going to go, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Jesus kind of says that. Leviticus 11, and, and here's the crazy part about the Bible. We have to discern this, and we're not going to get into the details, a deep dive on this today, but there are some parts of the Bible that are written to specific people at a specific time and place and just, are just for them. And then there are some parts of the Bible, lots of the Bible, that is universal, timeless. It doesn't matter who it's written to or when it's written to. It applies all the time for everybody. And you're going to ask me, which ones? I don't know. There's universal moral ones that are very, very clear. Uh, but it's fascinating. A lot of the rules and regulations of the books of like Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Jesus, a lot of that has been fulfilled and finds its fulfillment in me. No longer do you need to do that, but he's shaken up, he's perplexed, confused. And I think what God wants to do once in a while for you and I is we get to a place where we think we got things figured out. 
And, and both conservatives and liberals do this. You kind of get, we kind of figure out where we are, politically, religiously, wherever you stand or you're somewhere in the middle there, we get things figured out. We kind of know how God does things. We got what our theology is. We got the Bible. We've gone to some classes. We got it all figured out. And then God looks at us and he goes, here, you're so cute. You think you got me figured out. And once in a while, he's just going to shake us up because he goes, I'm going to do something new here and it's going to break all your paradigms. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up thinking you're not allowed to, okay, I grew up in a very, very kind of conservative background, don't allowed to drink. And good Christians don't drink. And so I thought, okay, I don't drink. And I didn't try to alcohol a couple of times. I didn't like it, so I didn't because I didn't have convictions about it. But, and then I went out with a youth group down in Encinitas to go see a concert afterwards. We went to go get food afterwards. And the waiter showed up and said, hey, can I get you guys anything from the bar to drink? And I almost made some kind of, oh yeah, sure, we'll all have this. And several people there that were solid leaders, solid Christians, all got alcohol. And I went, oh, wait a minute. This is weird. Like this, it put me on tilt. Because my world got shaken up because I thought, well, good Christians don't drink, do they? Here's some good Christians and they drink. I, I didn't know what to do with it. I got a great quote from you, for you, from a guy named uh, Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous pastor in the 1800s. This is not modern day stuff. It's on your note sheet. It's in very small font. It'll also be up here on the screen. I love this. It says here, shake yourself up a little, my brother and sister. If you are too precise, may the Lord set you on fire and consume your bonds of red tape. <laughs> if you have become so improperly proper that you cannot commit a proper impropriety, then pray God to help you be less proper. For there are many who will never be saved by your instrumentality while you study propriety. What he's telling us there is, some of you are too tightly wound. And guys, I get this, go, oh, but does that mean we can break all? Look, I'm just telling you from time to time, God's going to shake things up and it's going to put you on tilt. You're not going to know quite what to do with it all. Sometimes God's just going to do that because it'll be good for you, good for you to not get so predictable, so stuck in where you're at. And so that's what's happened with Cornelius and Peter. God sends a vision to Cornelius. He doesn't know what's going, the heck is going on. This angel coming out of the sky. Peter with the vision of the animals kill and eat. He goes, what, what does all this mean? Uh, look here ver down at verse, um, at the end of verse 17, it says, just then the man sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Remember that Cornelius sent him up to, down to Joppa. Standing outside the gate, they're outside the gate. You know why they're outside the gate? Because they're respecting the Jewish faith that says Jews and Gentiles don't go in the same houses. Now you and I go, that's kind of dumb, stupid, weird, but that's how it was back then. Jews and Gentiles did not going to this, even in the same places. There was all kind of ritual and ceremonial rules and regulations about that, so they're respecting that. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, so now he's, he's seen a vision, now God's speaking to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I've sent them. So Peter went down and said, uh, I'm the man you're looking for. What do you want? <laughs> Why have you come? And they said, uh, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He, he's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that we can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. Now you and I hear that and go, what's the big deal? Keep in mind, Jews and Gentiles don't even come to the same house. Now Peter has invited Gentiles into his house and spend the night. 
a Jewish person first century going, what in the world is going on here? The next day he went with them, accompanied by some other brothers from Joppa. Uh, we find out it's about six guys go with him. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, hey, stand up, I'm a human. I'm a human just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean, so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And then Cornelius goes on and explains what had happened to him and the vision he saw and, and all that. I think there's a, a fascinating thing here to see. It's not the major point of the story, but God's about to demolish the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, between outsiders and insiders, between the chosen people over here, the Jewish people, and the Gentile pigs over here. He's about to just demolish that wall. But do you see what happens here? God oftentimes doesn't just demolish things all at once. Sometimes he just kind of comes in and deconstructs and pulls some blocks out of the wall here and there. The opening of the story, where's Simon at? With a tanner? A good Jewish cultural guy with a guy handling unclean animals? That's weird. And then God shows up and gives a vision to a Gentile Roman army officer. God comes to him? That's weird. And, and then Peter has this crazy vision about God says, don't call anything impure or unclean. You can eat that food right now. And Peter's going, what does this mean? Does it mean, I know, let's go to Jersey Mike's and get a BLT. That would be like, I can have anything to eat now. All the food's clean. And here's what I want to tell you today. Write this down on your note sheet. There's a note sheet there. You can fill the blanks in here. It says this, major change always has minor steps along the way. It feels like this guy becomes a Christian Boom, overnight. All along the way, God's going, I'm going to pull this away. Peter's a little more open to unclean people with the Simon the Tanner and invites these people into his house, these Gentiles, and lets them spend the night. And then he goes with them and goes into a Gentile's house. Little by little, the wall is being deconstructed so that when it comes time for the tractor to show up, all the supporting stuff has already been blown away. Now it's just a matter of just go, and the whole thing comes crashing down. And it feels like it happens all at once. Hardly ever happens all at once. Big change in your life, in your marriage, with your children, with your faith. When God's going to do something dramatic and turn it around, you're going to look back and go, wow, that's crazy. Because I can see now, a year and a half before that, this happened and that happened. And then a, year, a couple of years, and then this thing happened over here. And then with my kids or my finances or that addiction thing that I had where I just couldn't shake it. It's crazy how it felt like it happened all at once, but the truth is, little by little by little, God was deconstructing stuff all the time, getting ready to just walk up against it. It didn't happen all at once. It always happens in minor steps along the way. And, and when that happens, Peter says, I can see, I, 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 excuse me, in verse 34, 
he also says, I can see clearly that God shows no favoritism. You'll see there, I've made up a word for you today. I can see clearishly now. Because the truth is, in your journey of discovering and following Jesus, whether you're a, not a Christian yet, been at this a little while, been at it for a long time, there are moments, most of the time, when you see kind of clearly, and you're going to act in obedience, but you're still kind of going, I don't, what, what does this all mean? I don't, it doesn't all make sense. It doesn't compute for me. And that's what's going on with Peter here. He goes, I can see clearly now God does this, but how disorienting it would have been for him to have been in a Gentile house with a Roman centurion there, charged with, the Roman centurions were the ones, now probably not Cornelius, but it was the Roman officers that crucified Jesus on a cross. This is just crazy weird, but I'm not quite sure what's going on here in all this. Uh, and, and back then, again, we don't get this because we live in a much more inclusive society, largely because the way of Jesus has infiltrated everything, even atheism, even progressivism, even all the other isms out there. This idea of what we'll just be unified, let's all be one. We're, you know, though we're one, but we're not the same. Let's just all be together. You know where that came from? The book and the way of Jesus. This was not atheists and liberals or conservatives. They figured all this stuff out. Jesus comes along and goes, I'm going to take down all the walls. The God says, there's no more uh, segregation. There's no more separatism. There's no more racism. There's no more sexism. There's no more of that culture's bad and our culture's good. And that all gone, done. He's going to knock it all down. But back in that culture with Jews and Gentiles, we don't live there. So we do some work here. Jewish men, most of them would wake up every day and they would pray this prayer. Oh Lord, I thank thee that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Now that's terrible. That's so, that's so patriarchal and chauvinistic and all that kind of stuff. But they had kind of classes and divisions about where things were. Jews never helped Gentiles do anything. If they needed directions, you say, hit the road, Jack, get lost. I don't care. In fact, you get lost and die because one less of you Gentiles in the world. If a Gentile woman, woman was having a baby and she was in distress, Jewish people would not help her because that would mean one less Gentile would come into the world if that pregnancy didn't go well, if, if the baby didn't, was stillborn or whatever. Uh, that's what happened. Even today in Orthodox Judaism, a Jew marries a Gentile and they oftentimes have a funeral. That person is now dead to us. And we can look at the Jews and go, that's so chauvin, that's so racist, that's so classist, that's so whatever. The Gentiles can give just as bad as they get. Gentiles despise the Jews. And we get this from the scriptures. We also get this from other historical writings of the time. As we're traditionalists, they believed that they were evil plotters who worshipped pigs. You know why they thought they worshipped pigs? Because they wouldn't eat them. They thought they revered them. Oh my gosh, they think the spirit of God. So they, they think their God is a pig. They, they, you can find things in culture back then, in paintings and all that, about Jews who would worship pigs because they thought that. And the gospel, the way of Jesus comes along and for the first time in history, uh, Christianity is the first way of religion, spirituality, to disregard national, cultural, ethnic boundaries and say no more. These are all gone. These are all done. And what's fascinating in here is that 
the vision that Peter has was not about the food, was not about Jersey Mike's and BLT's. There was a bigger message, a bigger meaning behind the message. So write this down. Always look for the meaning behind the message and the methods. Don't just go, well, that's what the word says and boom, boom, boom here. See, if Peter doesn't sit there and think about it a little while, he's gonna go, well, I guess we get to go have BLT's and pepperoni pizza now. Oh, well, and he would miss the whole point, right? Because God said you can, don't call anything impure and clean and it's about animals. This is for you with your Bible. Don't just read the Bible and go, boom, 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 I got a verse and I can prove it. Go find what, is there a deeper meaning behind that? Is God speaking about something bigger and wider than just a specific thing there? When, when, all that and more. So they all show up here. Peter asks them, what do you want? Cornelius recounts for him, hey, we're, we're, we sent for you because I had this vision from God and we don't quite know what's going on. Look at verse 33. It says, so I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. So this is an important thing for you. You will get out of the Bible. You will get out of church. You will get out of your small group what you come and put into it first. If you show up with a sense of expectancy, like what's going to happen here, what's going on here, you will always get more out of it. If you sit back here and go, I hope he doesn't suck today. I hope the sound guy mixes it better. I hope the lyrics aren't off. You're going to be just whatever. You will get out of it what you will come expecting to hear and see and what you will put into it. I just That's a little hint, tip. It's not the major point here. But Cornelius is here going, they're excited about this. They're anxious to hear what God is going to say to them. And then Peter replied, I see very clearishly now that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then he goes on to recount who Jesus is. He says, you know what happened. And everybody did throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So you guys, he says, you all know about Jesus. And everybody back then would go, yeah, we've all heard about Jesus. Jesus was a very nationalistic, populistic, I'm not sure it's even a good right word, but popular figure. Verse 39, and we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God has chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that... Everyone, not someone and not just the chosen ones, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. He says peace with God is now possible. He's telling us that for this reason, that at the beginning when you walk into the world, you're at war with God. By your actions, your attitudes, your beliefs and your behaviors, you're separated from God. You could not make peace with God on your own. You could try all you want, you can't. Jesus came and made peace with God for you by what he did on the cross. And what it means, he says now, for you to get right with God 
is that you believe that Jesus is a real person. He claimed to be God, and Jesus lived and died in my place and in our place for our sin, and he rose from the dead with real power for new life. And Peter's saying, we didn't just make this stuff up. We saw it. There were eyewitnesses who saw this thing, and every one of these, there weren't very many eyewitnesses, but there were enough eyewitnesses that spread this good news of Jesus out, and the Holy Spirit comes, and crazy stuff starts to happen. Thousands of people start believing in Jesus from the testimony of these eyewitnesses. Every one of those eyewitnesses were killed for not denying their faith in Jesus. They believed it so firmly and so strongly. He says, and what, what he's telling us there, you can write this down, all the barriers are gone and everyone's invited. Now you and I hear that and go, okay, yada, yada, whatever, inclusivism, progressivism, whatever, everybody's invited. Back then, this is a crazy wall that just got obliterated. They've been there for thousands of years. And God just says, hey, have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever felt like I don't fit in here? Like I, because of my background, because of the things I've done. Gosh, guys, not so much maybe here, but there are a lot of places in the world where because of your ethnicity, whether it's the color of your skin or your culture, your background, you are an outsider. There are dividing walls out there. And Jesus just said, Peter's just telling us, that day is done and he's living it out right here in a Gentile home, explaining that the good news of Jesus is available for everybody who believes. Jesus tells parables and stories about this. He says the kingdom of God is like a party, and God wants everybody to come to his party. So at first he invites everybody in the town, but now we're busy, we can't do this. He says, well, go get people outside the town. Go get the outsiders. I want my house full. This is what the way of Jesus does. He invites everybody to come in. Everybody's invited. He's going to say no more gender, political, ethnic boundaries, ethical boundaries, sexual boundaries, financial boundaries, all those things that used to define you, all those barriers and boundaries are now gone. Now I can hear the question rolling around in some of your heads. You're starting to get your connection card out and write some things to me. Let me answer the question so I don't, now, so I don't have to later this week. So you're going, well, what does that mean? Like everything's okay? Understand something here. We sing a great song here uh, all the time called Reckless Love. We're not singing it today. But it's about this reckless, the unconditional love of God. That God says, hey, I love you no matter what. But don't miss this. Unconditional love doesn't mean undiscriminating approval or acceptance of everything you do. It's not going to be up on the screen. You should write that down. It's important. And, and see, parents, you know this, right? Do you unconditionally love your children? Well, most of you do. Till they got to, so it depends on the day of the week, right? But this unconditional love. Does unconditional love just let your kids do whatever they want? No way. Because you unconditionally love your kids, you're going to go, hey, you can't do that. There's boundaries, there's restrictions, and there's punishment and discipline. Not because you hate your kids trying to control their life and impose your stuff on them. It's because you love them like crazy. And you want them to, so you'll put some stuff there. So just because you unconditionally love someone doesn't mean you go, well, just kind of do what you want. Everything's okay. But that's the world we live in, guys, right now. Unconditional love means... Uh, be true to yourself, indulge yourself, love yourself, self, 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 self. Um, I came across some uh, Norwegian, Scandinavian philosophers and pastors um, who, who have kind of gone off the deep end here, and you'll recognize maybe it's the Runyard sisters. Um, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small, and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. Some of you are getting it, right? 
It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. And this, again, I'm not here to say you that, say, that, that frozen and Disney are satanic and demonic. I'm just telling you, this is everywhere. It's everywhere in our culture. The hate. Just do what you want and you're free. Jesus is going to tell us what Peter's telling us here is he's died to forgive our sins, to release us from the bondage of sin. There's some things that are bad for us to do and wants us to set us free to the good he wants. He's going to tell us the way to experience freedom is not to live for yourself, be true to yourself. He's going to die to yourself. He's going to tell you, pick up your cross and come follow me. He's, and in doing that, don't miss this, guys. This is how you're going to find life. And the self that God, made, that God made you to be, the truest version of yourself, will come alive as the old self dies and goes away and the new life that God wants to give you explodes out of your life. And Cornelius and his friends are sitting there listening to all this. There's good news and forgiveness for everybody. Verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon how we're listening to the message. I love it how the Holy Spirit does not respect the order of service. Like, well, can't we do the, like the altar call and the music and the prayer and then people get saved? No, right in the middle of it. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Speaking in tongues is not something every Christian does. It doesn't happen every time you can become a Christian. But in the book of Acts, God, in his favor, every time the gospel crosses another boundary, the believers, the first time people can believe, they speak in tongues. So the Jewish people, the gospel comes, people become Christians, they speak in tongues. Like, this is crazy. Then the gospel goes outside of the Jewish thing to the Samaritans. You know, as the Samaritans, they become Christians. Speaking other tongues, other languages. It gives us a visible marker and sign. And right here, the first Gentiles become Christians. God, God wants to make it very, very clear. Hey, they're Christians too. They got the same Holy Spirit that you got. They don't get the Holy Spirit version, you know, 2.0. They get the same Holy Spirit you got. The same exact Spirit in you is in them now. They're full-on Christians. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ Afterward, Cornelius asked Peter to stay with, asked him to stay with them for several days, and Peter does. It's a beautiful story here of how it's crossed the lines. And what's fascinating here is what you would expect Peter to say is, can anyone object to them being not baptized, but back in that culture, to the men being circumcised? Because that's how you became a, that's how you became a follower of the one true God back then. You had to become a Jewish person. And we're going to see this big fight in the early church kind of develop over is faith in Jesus enough or do I have to do some other things first? Do I have to submit to other rules and rituals and the gospel of Jesus, there's nothing else you have to do. It's faith in Jesus alone, in Christ alone for everything. And so today, as the band comes up, we're going to keep talking here, so don't, don't tune me out. We're, stay on me. Let them get their instruments tuned in and tuned up and all that fun stuff. For some of you today, you're sitting here and you're not yet a Christian. You're like Cornelius. You're sitting in a church service in the middle of when all this COVID pandemic stuff has ebbed back up again and you're sitting here today. And look, you can pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I 
know I'm a sinner. Okay, I believe in you. And oftentimes pastors get up and do that. But you know, none of these people pray a prayer in the service. You know what happens? Faith is born in their heart. I believe that. And so the spirit comes into life, forgives their sin, and starts to change them with real power from the inside out. That might be you today. Might be you today. Go, faith has really been born in my heart today, right here, right now, on the second Sunday of the year. If that's you today, I'd love to talk to you about that. What it means now to, it's like, like Peter, or Cornelius asked Peter, can you stay around for, for a little bit? We want to sit with you for a little bit and help you understand what these next steps are on that connection card. Let me know about that. I also wonder though today if there's some of you, some of us, that what our deal needs to be is take a few minutes here today and repent of some things. Repent of the bigotry. Whether it's ethnic bigotry, whether it's religious bigotry, whether it's class and and national bigotry, whether it's political bigotry, where we have said, those people over there, no way. No way. And unless, until they get their act together, is it time to confess some of that and go, look, I've put some people out there and pushed them off to the side and say, I hope they never show up here at Cross Point. Not at my church. They can go to that other place over there. Guys, I want to tell you right now, with everything I could say in my soul, when we talk about the fact that we're all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus, that's a difficult thing. It's way easier. Look at me, don't miss this, because some of you need to hear this today. I see your ridiculous social media posts all the time. You're crazy. It's way easier to be my kind of people discovering and following Jesus. Our kind of people. And those kind of people over there, because here's the crazy thing is, what happens when those kind of people want to become Christians and start following Jesus too. And do you see what happens here? Cornelius becomes a Christian. Guess what church he goes to? Where all the Jews are that are Christians now too. You think you've got differences with people politically? you got a centurion sitting in your small group as a Jewish person. That's a little weird. That creates some weird dynamics. And just, I read a book a while ago, somebody referred to it. What if Jesus actually meant what he said? When he said, it's for everybody. I want every tribe, every race, every political, financial, all the things that divide you, all in my kingdom. Maybe there's some things we got to deal with here in our own life that we've allowed to seep into our soul. Because I'm telling you right now, be careful. The virus that's out there that's causing the most havoc is not coronavirus or Omicron or whatever it is. It's that virus of yuck. Those people over there and writing them off and dismissing them and pushing them off to the side. And then I wonder today, have you and I, have we just grown too comfortable? Has the way of Jesus just become like, okay, yeah, we do our deal. We're Christians. We, we kinda, and we have it all figured out. And our routines have got us stuck in a rut. And maybe it's time to come to Jesus today as our band's going to sing some songs together with us here to say, Jesus, I need you to disrupt me again. I need you to disrupt my life because I've gotten too comfortable. I've gotten just too, too, it's just too easy to do right now. Guys, I want to tell you today, this week for me, on Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock, I'm putting all this together, getting it all finished and done. And I had a moment where 
the day before I had a really difficult conversation with some people and some difficult things going on. Again, no, my marriage is fine, my kids are fine, all that stuff, but just some disruptive things have happened to me and have even happened that's gonna impact our church at some level. And again, it's not a crisis, capital C crisis, but it was disruptive. And it was frustrating going, God, we guys, God, we, we finally had things kind of figured out here. And then there's, I, and in a quiet moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Steve, before you get up there and yell at people from that stage on Sunday, let's sit down here and do some business right now. Maybe I want to do something really amazing, interesting in your life, in the life of your church. In order to do that, I just got to shake some things up first. I'm telling you, just invite God to do that. And again, this is not, God, bring it on. I can take it because it'll be like, oh, disruption is crazy, disorienting, confusing. But maybe just give God, say, God, here I am, surrender. Whatever you want to do, whatever you need to disrupt in my life, come and do it. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today. If you need prayer for anything, uh, people will be getting up, moving around for different reasons. Go back there, let them pray for you about whatever's going on in your life. In the four corners of the room, we have communion that's there. It's bread and juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And guys, we do this almost every week here to remind us that no matter what we're talking about in the Bible, that the reason we exist is not because we got our act together. The reason we exist is because Jesus had his act together and then died in our place where people didn't have the act together. And then he gives us his power to change us from the inside out. And so we're going to keep Jesus and the cross and the resurrection central to everything that we do. So Jesus, today, here in this place, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, just do it right here, right now. 